In today's shir, we will discuss the age-old philosophical problem of Rayer. Philosophers throughout the ages have dealt with the difficult question of how our prayers can have an effect. The philosophical question is often posed as such. The Maharal in Sefer Nitivot Olam, as well as the Sefer Ha'ikarim in the fourth book, the 18th chapter, ask, if God is perfect, perfectly wise and omnipotent, then He knows what is the best for Him to do, and He has a reason in His divine wisdom why He plans to do everything which He has decreed in this world. If so, when we dive into Hashem, we pray, we ask Him, change His mind, and do something else, then what good is that tefillah? If we're asking Him to do something He was planning to do anyway, then our tefillot, our prayers are in vain. And if we're asking Him to do something which is the opposite of His will, then why would He change His mind if He has already willed to do the most perfect thing possible, the most wise and just thing in accordance with his complex divine wisdom, why would he do something less wise or less perfect or less just just because we ask him to? Petitions really make sense when we petition human beings. If I ask you to do something for me, that makes a lot of sense. Why? Perhaps you don't know that I need it. I have to tell you what I need in order for you to supply my needs. But that doesn't apply to God. God knows everything. Or maybe you know what I need, but you're not wise enough to figure out what to do under the circumstances and how to help me. But that doesn't apply to God because He is all-knowing. And He knows exactly what the best thing to do under the circumstances is. Or perhaps you don't want to help me, but I can play with your emotions. I can beg you and change your emotions and get you to like me more by tugging at your heartstrings with a heartfelt plea, you know, make you, uh, make you feel bad for me. But that's dealing with human beings. When it comes to human beings, you know, if my kid wants something from me, he can beg me and beg me and play with my emotions and make me feel bad for him, and I'll change my mind and give him something, even though it's really not in his best interest to have more candy right, right now. But none of this applies to God. We can't tug at God's heartstrings. We can't change his emotions. He is infinitely perfect. So the question is, if God knows what's best to do anyway, then as they say in the Yeshivot Mimanavshach, either way, if he's planning to do what I request, I don't need to ask for it. And if he's not planning to do what I request, then there's a very good reason for that. And he's not going to change his mind and do something which is not wise just because I ask him to. Not to mention the fact, says the Nefeshachayim, when he deals with this problem if everything God does is for the best then I wouldn't want him to change his mind let us say I'm having some trouble a crisis some suffering right now but if there's really a good reason for that because everything that comes from God has a good reason then I wouldn't want God to to change his mind and alleviate this crisis because if it's really for my own good why would I want to change it if a doctor prescribes bitter pills for me to cure some terrible disease, I wouldn't beg the doctor, please take away the bitter pills. 
because I know they're for my own good. So if everything God does is for the good, called the Ovid Rachmana Latava Ovid, if everything God does is for the good, how can we ask him to change his mind? Some of the more philosophically inclined among the Rishonim ask the question, how can we say, God, may, may it be your will, as if we can change God's will if God does not change? But the classic questions are, you know, less philosophical, having to do with the non-changing nature of God, and more common sense. If God is all-knowing and knows what's best and does what's best and has reasons for everything he does, then what's the point of asking him to do any different? He knows much better than we do what he should do. And our asking him is not going to change his mind. Now, one way of answering this question, although it doesn't actually answer the question, is to point out, as many Mepharshim have, that perhaps the main point or the only main point of prayer is not so that God grant us our prayers. I think it's fairly clear that we don't only daven in order that God answer our tefillot. Davening prayer is a spiritual good in and of itself. And this is true in a number of senses. In one sense, Rev. Hirsch discusses this in the 19 letters. Um, elsewhere, he points out that the root word tefillah for prayer is related to finatan biflilim ufililo elokim the root word pilel is to judge. Perhaps hitpalel, which means to pray, is the reflexive form to judge oneself. Rav Hirsch points out in the 19 letters that filah is a sort of cheshbona nefesh, a self-judgment, is an opportunity for meditation about ourselves. When I pray, I think about what are my priorities? What are my goals? What do I want in life? What are my responsibilities? What is my place? What is my role in the world? And therefore, regardless of whether or not my prayers are answered, prayer is a beneficial spiritual activity in and of itself. I have gained from davening, regardless of whether or not my tefillot are answered, because I've reached a better understanding of priorities in life, of what's important of where I'm going and what I want out of life. If you think about it, you know, one who really stands before God and asks for things starts to think about, well, what really do I want? What am I asking for? What do I need? What is important to me? This would specifically uh, make it much more understandable that we have a fixed Nusach, a fixed text of prayer established for us 2,000 years ago that we recite every day because if part of the purpose of prayer is to think about our own lives and our priorities and responsibilities, perhaps not just asking for whatever comes to mind right now, but asking for those things which our tradition, our Mesorah has decided are important and daven for for thousands of years, can help orient me and my priorities in the proper direction. Many, many Jewish philosophers emphasize another more central advantage of and purpose of prayer, which is that it brings me closer and enhances the connection between me and, and Hashem 
between me and God. The Rav emphasized in a number of places that the main purpose of tefillah is not that God should answer my prayers, but for me to recognize that it is from God that the answer to all my prayers and all my needs and everything in the world emanates. For me to realize my dependence on God and for me to turn the fact that I have needs in the world and that I am needy into an opportunity to connect to God and realize the role that God plays in my life. The, uh, the Kuzari, when he discusses the purpose of prayer in the third book of the Sefer Kuzari, um, in the fifth paragraph, emphasizes, emphasizes that the purpose of tefillah is to cling to Hashem, to connect to God. One who has a conversation with someone, especially a conversation about what I need in my life, is connected to that person. This is very clear. If I never talk to my wife about my needs and desires and dreams and problems and challenges, then I will not have a very close relationship with her. If I do not talk about my needs and challenges and difficulties to God, I will not be very connected to Him psychologically. But if I pour out my heart to God, then that creates a sense of connection. It creates a relationship. The Kuzari even goes so far as to say that just as we always need nutrition, but we don't eat all the time, we eat, and the energy, the, the calories and various other nutrients that we take into our bodies from one meal last us until the next meal. Likewise, every time we daven, we receive some spiritual sustenance. We get some spiritual inspiration, which lasts us till the next time we daven, and infuses our lives with spirituality. So too, um, points out the Sefer HaChinuch in uh, chapter 433, the mitzvah of tefillah. He says the second reason we pray, in addition to wanting our prayers to be answered, is that it reminds us three times a day that everything comes from God. It reminds us of our dependence on God. The Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, most famous for authoring the Musar work, Mesilat Yisharim, but also the author of very many philosophical, uh, mystical works, in perhaps his most uh, famous and accessible philosophical work, the Derech Hashem, part 4, chapter 5, when he explains the purpose of davening, explains that the deepest reason, the deepest explanation for tefillah is that we all have needs. And how do we fulfill those needs? We generally fulfill our needs through hishtadlut, we have discussed in earlier um, shirim, by going out in the physical world and working within the laws of the physical world, working within the natural order to supply our needs. If I need money, I go out and work at a job and make money so I can buy food and pay my rent. Um, if I, you know, I'm in a some sort of under some sort of military threat, I, you know, organize all my tanks and airplanes and missiles and go out with an army. Because those kinds of activities can easily lead us to get sunk into the give and take of the calculations of the physical world and forget about the fact that God controls everything. It says therefore, specifically, whenever we have a physical need, we first 
pray to Hashem and remind ourselves that Hashem runs the world and that He is the source of all blessing and then go out and as well uh, work within the natural order to achieve our goals. But therefore, even when we go out into the physical world and work through the natural order to achieve what we want, we don't forget about the fact that everything comes from Hashem ultimately because we have preceded that effort with prayer and reminding ourselves that everything comes from God. So, we have seen that very many Jewish philosophers point out that the main reason or the deepest reason or one of the main reasons why we pray is not so that God will give us what we want. Whether or not He gives us what we want, prayer is valuable because it improves us spiritually. A, it increases our relationship, the closeness of our relationship with Hashem. B, it reminds us that we are dependent on Hashem and that everything comes from Him. And C, specifically, when we go out into the world and work through purely physical, non-spiritual means to achieve what we need, we never forget that everything at its core is really spiritual and that everything really comes from God because we always daven to Hashem specifically for our physical needs before we also work at achieving them through the uh, physical effort. However, as, as true as it is that the depth of prayer is not limited to and not limited by the fact that we want our prayers to be answered, it is abundantly clear in every page of Tanakh and every chapter of Chazal that prayer is answered, that we believe that somehow if we dive into Hashem, that has the power that it might... Of course, we don't believe prayer is always answered, or at least not always answered with a yes. Um, that would be simplistic and childish. Sometimes, God says no to our requests. But we believe that in addition to being good for us, spiritually, and helping us grow internally, prayers might be answered. Prayers are sometimes answered. The odds of me getting what I want are greater if I daven for it than if I do not daven for it. And this leaves us back with the philosophical question, even if the main point of davening is just for my spiritual edification. But Judaism clearly believes that prayers are answered. Why would a prayer be answered? If God knows perfectly what to do and has perfect power in implementing that, why would he change his mind just because we ask him? Doesn't he know what to do without our help? And I want to explore three or four answers to this philosophical problem. One most one answer found in the Rambam at the very end of Mordechai, Book Three, Chapter Fifty One, goes back to an earlier discussion we had about the nature of divine providence, Hashgacha Pratit, and the Rambam tells us that our question is based on the assumption that God is always running the world through His divine providence 
then the question becomes, why should I daven? God knows what he's going to do anyway, and he knows much better than I do. The Ramam says, no, divine providence is not an absolute 100%. Divine providence is proportional to our spiritual state. God is involved in our lives in the exact proportion in which we invite him in, in which we involve God in our minds and our thoughts. Therefore, the Ramam says that I already explained to you, the Ramam tells us, that divine providence is proportional to one's spiritual achievements. And he adds that one is only under full divine providence at a time when one is meditating on the truth of the existence of God and thinking about him. And the greater one's understanding and the greater role that God has in one's mind, the more one is thinking of God and the more that is in the forefront of your thoughts, the greater divine providence you will receive. The Ramam adds, The reason why we do all kinds of various mitzvot, like reading the Torah and davening, as well as other mitzvot, the reason is only, The reason why we pray according to the Rambam is in order to think about God and not about anything else. And once we are thinking about God, then, as it were, we open that connection. God is thinking about us and we are worthy of divine providence. For the Rambam, if... If divine providence reaches us only through our thinking about Hashem, then of course prayers are answered. Not that if I ask God for a new car, He hears me say, new car, and says, okay, fine, I'll give you a new car. No, when I think about the fact that God runs the world and that I am dependent on God and that's the role of God in my life, when I medit- engage in the meditational aspect of prayer, then I fill my mind with thoughts of Hashem. And when I fill my mind with thoughts of Hashem, I therefore open the connection between me and Him, and He exercises divine providence. And once He exercises divine providence, then He will fulfill my needs and change work within the natural order to change uh, the way things work a, a bit and give me what I want. Likewise, says the Ramchal in Derech Hashem, he says on the simplest level, in Yanat Filahu, Ki Yanahu, he doesn't, uh, the Ramam thinks he understands it uh, a little more, that God is only connected to us to the extent we're connected to him, the Ram is a whole philosophical explanation, which we won't get into now. The Ram, Ram, Ramchal suffices by saying, one of the ways in which God, in His supernal wisdom, organized the world is, in order for us to receive the bounty, the flow, the divine providence of Hashem, we need to awaken ourselves to Him, and come close to Him and ask, to the extent 
that we come to Him and that we awaken ourselves from our slumber and yearn and come close to Hashem, to that extent will God's divine providence flow onto us. The Ramchal agrees with the Rambam, fundamentally, that somehow the way God created the world, He could have created the world otherwise, perhaps, according to the Ramchal. He could have created the world in a way that He's always good to everyone. But for reasons that He doesn't have to explain, the way He created the world is that He allows His divine providence to flow onto us when we connect ourselves to Him. So according to the Ramchal and the Rambam, we have our first answer to the problem of the efficacy of prayer. How does tefillah change Hashem's mind? The answer is, it's not that it changes Hashem's mind, that He used to think that doing X would be good for us, and now He thinks that doing Y would be good for us. It's that the way God created the world, for whatever reason, is that He is only involved in our lives to the extent that we bring Him into our lives. Divine providence is somewhat limited by our clinging to Hashem and His providence. And therefore, by bringing ourselves closer to Hashem through tefillah, we therefore open this connection, and although, certainly according to the Ramchal, God could have done whatever He wanted, He chose to organize the world in such a way that... He chose to organize the world in such a way that His divine providence flows to those who seek it out. A second, more popular explanation is found in many Jewish philosophers, including the Sefer Ha'ikarim, in the fourth book, Perak Yudchet, the 18th chapter. And he says that perhaps God's divine providence extends in all circumstances equally. But... There's one rule that undergirds and underlies the way God exercises providence. And that is the rule of Scharva Onesh. If we are better, then God reward, rewards us. If we are unfortunately worse, then God will not reward us, to put it nicely. <laughs> the Sefer Karim therefore explains that how does Tefillah work? How can our prayers be answered? If God already made up his mind and knows what he wants to do, why is our nudging going to change his mind? And he says the answer is very simple. God knows what he wants to do, but part of God's divine will is that if we are very good, he will do X for us, and if we are not as good, then he will not be as good to us. That's scarva onesh, reward and punishment. That's explicit in the Torah. And by davening, it's not that we nudge God, or we ask Him for something, and now He knows to give it to us. By davening, we make ourselves better people. And once I made myself a better person through prayer, now that I'm a better person, in God's divine plan and His divine will, I deserve a better reward. It's In that way, prayer is not so different from any of the other mitzvot. If I do a lot of mitzvot and become a good person, then of course... God's divine plan is to reward me more. Davening is one of the best ways of becoming a good person. It's one of the best ways of improving myself spiritually. And therefore, the way prayers are answered is somewhat indirect. Not, I ask God for a new car, and he says, okay, you can have a new car. 
I improve myself spiritually by praying, by davening properly and bringing myself closer to Hashem. Therefore, now that I'm a better person, God's divine will was that if I deserve it by becoming a better person, then I'll deserve the car. And now that I've become a better person, perhaps I deserve a new car or whatever else I was um, or whatever else I was praying for. The uh, most Jewish philosophers probably take uh, this approach, the reward and punishment approach, which is, again, the second answer to the problem of prayer. If I become a better person, if davening makes me a better person, then, by the principle of reward and punishment, I deserve a reward which I didn't previously deserve, which is the answer to my prayers. A third approach is implied by a number of Kabbalistic sources and is a bit more radical. We tend to think that, based on the rationalist tradition Jewish philosophy, that we can't change God. After all, look in the Torah, Lo, right, Lo ish el v'chazevu v'nadam v'yitnecham, right, Bilam says when he learns that he can't change God's mind. God is unchanging, he is perfect, he is eternal. No, all we can do is change ourselves, or perhaps put ourselves in a stronger relationship with God. One of the mysteries of the Kabbalistic tradition, though, is that, in some mysterious sense, and this is very, very pronounced in the Lurianic tradition, Kabbalah Ta'ari, we can change God. Right? The uh, Those who are Kabbalistically inclined say before they perform a mitzvah, l'shem yichod in order to unify the Holy One, blessed be He, with His Divine Presence. Meaning, when I do this mitzvah, I'm not just doing a good thing and becoming a better person. I am unifying two different aspects of the divine, the Holy One, blessed be He, and His Shechina, which were separated by the crisis of the world, and I am fixing the world. And how does one fix the world? The world is merely an echo. It's a shadow of God. I fix the world by, quote-unquote, as it were, fixing Kiviyachol, as it were, God. The, oh, most of us follow the advice of the Nodim Yehuda, and don't say this statement before, before mitzvot, because to the unsophisticated, this, uh, this borders on heresy. But, the, those who understand the philosophy behind Kabbalah, understand that in some sense, from the Kabbalistic perspective, it is true that when we perform mitzvot, when we serve Hashem, we are really, in some way, causing a change in the nature of the divine sfirot, etc. And this applies very, very particularly to tefillah. The Nefesh Chayim, although he doesn't use this to answer the philosophical question with which we began the Shir, but he explains, in a very radical sense, in the second chapter of the second book of Nefesh Chayim, that the word Baruch, Every tefillah, every day, Baruch HaTashem, Baruch HaTashem, Baruch HaTashem. What does that mean? Blessed are you, Hashem. So what does that mean? It says people think, most people think, and most Jewish philosophers would say they're right, 
that it means praised are you Hashem. We're praising God. We're reminding ourselves of how great God is. And Baruch Hashem means God, you are so great, you are so praiseworthy, we are praising you. But the Nefesh Chaim says, from a Kabbalistic perspective, that's not true. That's not the deep meaning of Baruch. When I give someone a bracha, I'm actually somehow helping them. I am wishing upon them some improvement. Likewise, he says that Baruch Hashem means I'm blessing God. I'm giving God a blessing, as it were. I'm, I'm helping God out. I'm wishing for Him some improvement, as it were. And he says, Baruch Eino Lashon Tilav is not a li- does not mean praise, like Shema B'Fiyamon, like most people think. Rather, it is a Lashon of Riboy. Tosef Ela Lashon Tosefet Riboy. It is improvement and adding and increasing. We say Baruch Hashem, I am saying greater are you God, increased are you God. Basically, I am adding, as it were, to God's presence in this world. When I say Baruch Hashem, I am basically bringing more God into the world. Now, of course, like all Kabbalistic notions, if they are misunderstood and oversimplified, um, they turn into heresy. That's why in the old days, only very few people were privileged to be allowed to study Kabbalah, because they could be trusted to not misunderstand the notions and to learn them in an intellectually sophisticated fashion. The Nefesh himself realizes that. What does this mean? When I say Baruch Hashem, creating more God? When I say L'Shem Yichud Kutsh Ushchinte and do a mitzvah, I am, you know, fixing uh, God's broken leg, as it were? What kind of rank heresy is this? So the Nefesh Chaim says, of course, of course, of course. We don't mean God himself. God himself is hidden, is beyond descriptions of Kabbalah. God is perfect, doesn't, certainly doesn't need our help, doesn't need our brachot, doesn't need us at all. As it says in Adon Olam, he was, God was the king of the world before he created anyone else. Rather, Halila, Halila, God forbid that we should misinterpret this as saying that God needs our help or that we can change God. Um, we don't mean God himself. The Kabbalah never talks about God himself. What's there to say? <laughs> we can't say anything about Hashem himself. He's beyond our words. Rather, the Kabbalah talks about our understanding of God in the way in which he interacts with and emanates his presence to this world. We're not talking about God himself. We're talking about the way God interacts with this world. And basically, when we say, we don't mean God has a problem. God forbid. We mean that God's presence in this world has somehow been shattered and broken in a way in which his presence is not felt properly in this world, and we need to fix that. Likewise, when we say brachot, baruch Hashem, we mean God's presence in this world is limited and we need to bring more and more of God's presence into this world. But even granted that caveat, from a Kabbalistic perspective, what we're doing when we daven, when we say baruch Hashem, is not just approving ourselves 
Of course, not chas v'shalom, a proven God. But, in terms of the aspect of God that we can relate to, God's presence in this world, to oversimplify, we are improving God's presence in this world. We are bringing more of Hashem's presence into this world by davening and by recognizing Him. The more we recognize Him in this world, the more His presence flows into this world and um, and is noticeable in this world. If so, then we can explain how does tefillah help? Why are prayers answered? Because al Kabbalah, we actually can change. We can't change God's mind Himself, Chas v'Shalom. But in terms of God's presence in this world, the more of God's presence we bring in this world, the more powerful the influence of that presence is, and the more good flows down to this world. So this is a bit of a bolder uh, explanation, certainly than that of the Sefer Ha'ikarim and most philosophers, and certainly even than that of the Rambam and the Ramchal, it is not just that I create a greater connection between myself and God by davening, and therefore he exercises more divine providence on me, but I create more of a connection between God and the world by davening. I bring God down into the world more by davening. How do I have that power? That's one of the mysteries of Kabbalah. Kabbalah tells us that we have a lot more power than we think. So, according to the Kabbalistic tradition, one of the whose basic premises is, right, in the Kabbalah Ta'ari, one of the most basic premises of the Ari's Kabbalah, is that we have a lot more power than we think, and our actions are a lot more important than we thought they were. When we daven, we actually bring God's presence into the world. We don't chas change or improve or help God. He's beyond that. But God's presence in the world... We bring God down into the world a little more. We extend God's presence to the world. And we increase not just the link between ourselves and Hashem, but the link between the world and Hashem. And the more that Hashem's presence is here with us in this world, the more good is bestowed onto us and the more divine bounty flows into this world. And perhaps that is how our presence, our prayers, can be answered. We have then three philosophical explanations as to why prayer would be effective. One, in uh, one, the Rambam Ramchal, Davin connects me to Hashem, and the way God runs the world is that He relates to me as a reciprocal effect of me relating to Him. I have to create that, I have to build that bridge, and then... Hashem exercises divine providence on me through that bridge. Two, the Sefer Ikarim and most philosophers, I make myself a better, deeper, more holy, spiritual person by davening. And the reward for being a better person is that I deserve better reward from Hashem. And C, Alpi Kabbalah, we can explain that by davening properly, I actually bring God's presence into this world. And the more that God's presence is in this world, the more divine bounty and the more, uh, and the more good flows into this world from Hashem's presence. This gives human beings a much greater role than rationalist Jewish philosophy in that while, of course, chas v'shalom, we cannot affect, help, or in any way change Hashem Himself. It is up to us to bridge the gap, not only between the individual and God, but between God and the entire world. <laughs>